Welcome to the Couch Potatoes. I'm Brett McGarry. This week, we've got a review of a movie that was supposed to debut last year in May. We'll tell you what we thought of Black Widow. I'm Jeff Braun. I also rewatched what I think is the best series of all time. I'll take a look back at HBO's Band of Brothers. And Prime debuted a big new movie last week. I'll tell you what I thought of The Tomorrow War. So after being delayed three times from its original release date of May 2020, the latest movie in the Marvel Cinematic Universe is finally here. Scarlett Johansson finally gets her own Marvel movie, Black Widow. It's set between the events of Captain America Civil War and Avengers Infinity War because, well, Black Widow died in Avengers Endgame, so they can't really do a movie about her in the present timeline, can they? LOL. The character Black Widow, Natasha Romanoff, is an assassin by trade, brought up in the Black Widow program in Russia. They're basically the best at what they do. She eventually defected and is now one of the Avengers. And the fact that she was brought up in this program explains why she is such a badass and can hold her own with the Avengers, even though she doesn't have any superpowers. And that Black Widow program is the focus of the movie, as it now includes her baby sister, played by Florence Pugh. So she has to make some things right. We have unfinished business. We have to go back to where it all started. Lucky us. One thing's for sure. It's going to be a hell of a reunion. And since she's reunited with her sister, she's also reunited with her mother and father, played by Rachel Weisz and David Harbour, who has superpowers of his own. He was the Russian equivalent of Captain America, the Red Guardian. Still fits. Family. Back together again. You got fat. That's the first thing I'll criticize about this movie, that fat joke. That teaser trailer came out in 2019 and Marvel took a ton of flack for that joke, as though they learned nothing from the mistakes they made with how they handled Thor's weight gain in Endgame. I thought for sure they would cut that line out of the movie, but nope, they left it in. But other than that, the family dynamic stuff was great. Here's what's gonna happen. Natasha, don't slouch. I'm not slouching. You're going to get a big hunch. Listen to your mother. Oh my God, this- Up, up, All right, enough, all of you. I didn't say anything. That's not fair. 
There's also a cool new bad guy called Taskmaster who wears a full helmet and face shield and never speaks and is seemingly impossible to defeat in combat. A frightening and powerful villain. If you want to watch Black Widow, it's now playing in theaters where available. Still not an option in Ontario or Manitoba. So the other option is Disney Plus Premium for 35 bucks. As of Thursday afternoon, Black Widow is at 82% on Rotten Tomatoes. Jeff Braun, what did you think? I thought it was good, uh, and I was thrilled to finally lay lay eyes on it after it was pushed back all this time. I would have much, much, much rather have seen it in the theater. Watching it at home, um, you know, that is fine for some movies, but for a Marvel superhero movie that is uh, – I was just – bummed the whole time i was like this should be on a much much bigger screen than what i'm seeing it on now but uh alas uh we'll, eventually we'll get back into theaters you and i brett so the, too bad we couldn't do it for black widow i think this is only the second time that a marvel movie that i didn't see it on the big screen i, I missed doctor strange when it was in theaters for reasons i don't recall but uh i would have much you know rather seen this on a big screen scarlett johansson of course she's always great as black widow we've seen her you know for over a decade in the role so we knew what to expect there florence Pugh was a not a surprise that she was so good as the sister yelena it was just that uh i'd never seen her in an action movie before she first got a lot of notoriety in that horror movie midsummer which i've also not seen except i did watch the ending uh on on YouTube. Um, but she's also, she's in uh, Greta Gerwig's Little Women remake uh, in 2019, and she was just terrific in that. So seeing her in, in that, and then as a superhero and action star in this, I'm sort of, I'm all in on Florence Pugh now. David Harbour was, uh, he gets the Scenery Chewing Award in this one. It is a bit much, but it was often very entertaining. They're all doing Russian accents, and he really doesn't hold back. I, I'd like to see him have an accent off against uh, the guy in Tenet there. What's his name? The guy that this is the director. I can't remember. Oh, uh, um, Kenneth Branagh. Kenneth Branagh, yeah. Him versus David Harbour in fake Russian accents would be a fun thing to watch. Uh, the big finale, I won't tell you any details, obviously, but it was more impressive than I was expecting. Obviously, you know, not as epic as the end game finale, but it heightened more than I thought it would, and there was presented, it was something we saw quite unlike anything we've ever seen in the MCU before. I thought that was really impressive. And I, the only other gripe I have about this movie, really, is that I, I wish it would have come out when you know when it's in this timeline between uh, the movies that's in between if it had come out actually during that time if it came out before infinity war in real life and not you know now after we know that what happens in endgame and all that sort of thing um for one it just would have raised the stakes that much more not knowing what the future held for the black widow and also it sort of it smacks a little bit like this feels like they were felt they were almost like oh we forgot to make a black widow movie i guess we have to do that and here it is so it, it just stinks like that a little bit to me but that's not a it just would have played better i think if it had come out you know five years ago when it's set but other than that i thought it was a great movie uh three and a half couch cushions out of five for black widow for me Yeah, I dug this movie. Some of the best fight scenes in any Marvel movie. Black Widow, she's always been a great fighter, a deadly fighter, an efficient fighter, but this is the first movie where you feel the fight, where you feel the brutal efficiency of her fighting talents, so I loved that. The fight she has with her sister is fantastic, and then getting to see a number of Black Widows throwing down. It's a lot of impressive fighting skill on display. Some of the best 
action of any Marvel movie. There is a great car chase, for example, with some really nifty explosions. And that climactic action scene that you referenced, I mean, they show up briefly in the trailer with Black Widow just, like, essentially falling, or she's in, like, this essentially a dive position, and she's fighting this taskmaster in midair. It is breathtaking. So, indeed, I would have loved... Loved to have seen that on a big screen, and not just for the spectacle of it, but also to sit in a in a theater. Going to see a Marvel movie is uh, for those who are into this stuff. It's a special experience when you go to that opening weekend because everybody there is so excited to watch these movies. So yeah, I miss that. Hopefully, we'll get to enjoy that soon. And I also thought it had a lot of heart. Like I found it to be, I found much of it to be surprisingly emotional. Her backstory is heartbreaking, so it turns out her life story, her whole life story, is heartbreaking. And the family stuff was really fun. I thought Rachel Weisz was underutilized, although I think maybe that's partly because her character was this ice-cold scientist, whereas David Harbour, on the other hand, played this big oaf, and he was perfect. And as you mentioned, Pew was excellent as a sister, too. They had great chemistry together, and the sibling rivalry, the commentary between the two of them was really hilarious. Pew had all kinds of zingers just razzing her sister Natasha throughout the movie. So I loved it. I actually watched it twice. The Disney Plus, uh, Disney gave us access to, the, to this movie in the form of a digital screener. So I watched it twice while we had the 48-hour window. And I will go back and see this on a big screen if that is an option for us anytime soon. Another annoying thing, they digitally de-aged William Hurt's General Thunderbolt Ross. And I have no idea why. Like, it's not like the movie was really? set. Yeah. It, it, it's I didn't a, even notice that. Yeah. It's not, and it's not like the movie is set 25 years earlier than the timeline of Avengers Infinity War. So that just seemed dumb to me. I, I, and I, I'm, pre- I'm positive they did because it, it was the first thing I noticed when I saw him. I thought... Did they de-age him? Um, and I noticed that in the we trailers heard, as well. Yeah. And I thought... Maybe maybe in real life he's aged horribly and they had to do it. I don't know. Yeah, may, <laughs> or maybe he requested it. I, I don't know. I, I tried to find out uh, before we started recording, but I didn't want to go too far down that rabbit hole. I mean, it's not the end of the world. It's just I found it to be this kind of annoying detail. And clearly, I mean, it's not going to bother everybody. You didn't even notice it. I'm just nitpicky. Uh, I'm not going to bother trying to figure out where this one ranks in the MCU. I mean, I'm done with that now. There are just too many movies for that. And it's in kind the of middle somewhere. Yeah, but it's kind of pointless too because pretty much all their movies are great now except for a couple of missteps early on. So I'm going to give this one four couch cushions out of five for Black Widow. Uh, worth pointing out, of course, there is a scene mid-credits as well. If you don't want to pay 35 bucks to stream it and you don't want to go to a movie theater... If, when theaters are available to you, it will be available on Disney Plus at no additional cost on October 6th, if you want to wait for that. So, uh, Black Widow, exciting. And that's not the end of the MCU uh, talk for us this week, Brett. Hugh Jackman made some Wolverine news this week. Does it hurt? Every time. 
You can always tell it's a Wolverine fight because you just hear the slicing no- sound of the uh, blades in his arms just making the knife sounds. Jackman gave a million nerds a heart attack this week when he posted a couple of pictures on Instagram. The first, a shot of the Wolverine claws, and the second, a photo of Jackman with his arm around Kevin Feige, who is the big boss of Marvel Studios. So that added a lot of fuel to the fire surrounding the speculation of whether or not Jackman's Wolverine would join the MCU. Since Disney bought Fox, everyone assumed the X-Men would join the MCU, but there's been no official word or anything. But we do know the next Spider-Man movie will have all the old Spiders men in some form or another, and we know they're cracking open multiverses over there at the MCU as well. So literally anything is possible. I don't know that we'll see a whole movie starring Jackman as Wolverine again, but maybe it'll be a thing where he gets a scene or two, but the character's mostly played by someone else. Who knows? The possibilities are endless. I sort of hope that's the way it goes, though, because Logan was such a great way to put the Jackman Wolverine arc to bed. I mean, why disturb that? But if he comes back for a little cameo in some MCU movies, Brett, I am down with that. I'm all in on that. I would would love to see him get at least one film in the MCU just so he can be part of that legacy, because I think it, it was kind of a shame that he wasn't part of the... I mean, he did some great stuff in the, with that character, so I would like to see him play that character in the MCU. He really, really owned that character as he went along, and he worked so hard on his physicality, you know, training with The Rock for later movies. He was just ripped. He looked like he had been torn from the pages of a comic book, and I res- have a lot of respect for the guys who put the work in so that they can uh, you know, beef themselves up. So I, I think yeah. Hugh Jackman's great. I would like very much to see this. So thank you for sharing that because I completely missed this news. In a moment, got to tell you about a not bad new movie on Prime Video that, that I think they had much loftier goals. So not bad is probably not what they're looking for. I'll tell you what it is. Next, you're listening to The Couch Potatoes. I'm Brett. He's Jeff. We are The Couch Potatoes. So we just gave our reviews of Black Widow. And I watched another movie last week. Two movies, actually. Both of them on Prime Video. And both of them involving time travel. The first one debuted last weekend. It stars Chris Pratt, J.K. Simmons, and Yvonne Strahovski. It's called The Tomorrow War. 30 years in the future. We are fighting a war. Our enemy is not human. And we are losing. We need you to fight. I will be back. The world is caught off guard when time travelers arrive from the year 2051 with an urgent message. In the future, the world is losing a war with a vicious alien species. They're everywhere. We are food, and they are hungry. Our enemy is smarter. Faster and stronger than you can possibly imagine. And they need more soldiers. So where do you get more people when there aren't enough left? The past. And those from the past might just be the key to saving the future and preventing the war from ever happening. Together, we can stop this war from ever happening. This is my opportunity to give this world a second chance. So I'll first say spectacular visual effects in this. This was actually supposed to be a big tentpole blockbuster for Paramount but ended up getting shifted to Prime. It was originally set to open in theaters on July 23rd of this year, but earlier this year, with so much uncertainty over the movie theater landscape, it got sold to Amazon. So yeah, big special effects, apparently a $200 million price tag, and it shows. Unfortunately, the movie is just okay. 
I found the pacing was often clumsy and slow. Chris Pratt was good, not great. I'm still not sold on him in more dramatic roles. Like, he's got potential, but he's not quite there yet. So I find in any role that he does, if he's not doing comedy or predominantly comedy, he doesn't really seem to bring much to the table. Like, Jeff, what do you think of that? No, I agree. I I rewatched Jurassic World this last week, and... He's kind of boring in that movie. And I mean, the movies, I still like that movie a lot more than other people, but that's because of the dinosaurs. It's certainly not because of Chris Pratt. But then, you know, in Parks and Rec, he was awesome, but he plays just the dumbest guy, like Homer Simpson dumb in that show. And then, of course, in Guardians of the Galaxy, that's got a lot of comedy in it, too, and we love him in that. Yvonne Strahovski is tremendous. She is excellent in everything she's in. And if you're wondering... If they can travel through time, why don't they just go back to when the aliens show up and deal with them then? That actually gets explained pretty quickly in the movie, and it makes enough sense that you just roll with it. It has a thrilling, if not stupid, conclusion. Like in a movie involving the entire planet mobilizing to help save the future, the fact that a small band of scrappy rebels has to finish the job... It's actually laughable the way it played out on screen. I just thought it was so dumb. The action would have looked so good on a big screen, even though the movie was clumsy and stupid at times. It was fun enough that I didn't mind. It's not a great movie, but I I think the action alone makes it worth at least a look. And it also has a pretty touching family story, if not predictable. So three couch cushions out of five for the Tomorrow War. I'll tell you about the other time travel movie on Prime next. You're listening to The Couch Potatoes. I'm Brad, he's Jeff. We are the Couch Potatoes. I just told you about The Tomorrow War, which is a time travel alien invasion movie that just debuted on Prime this past weekend starring Chris Pratt. And with movies about time travel being on my mind, that reminded me there's another movie on Prime that I have been meaning to watch for a little while. It's called Boss Level. Hey, Jake, can I get a large bottle of that by you? You know what? Make it too large, boss. Because tomorrow isn't guaranteed. You have no idea. I used to complain that every day felt the same. And now every day is the same. Seriously. Frank Grillo stars in this time loop movie. It's another Groundhog Day. I love time loop stories. I don't know how this is possible. But I keep repeating the same day. As many times as I've seen this happen to my apartment, I still can't help but think I'm never, ever getting my security deposit back. For reasons unbeknownst to him, a merry band of assassins are out to kill him. It's what he wakes up to every day. Every day he wakes up to a guy with a machete. But no matter how hard I fight, I die every single day. What if the ability to rewrite history was real? What if I can erase our mistakes? This gives me the power of God. And the name of the film is apropos. I remember saying the Tom Cruise time loop movie Edge of Tomorrow felt like watching a video game because sometimes you just got to play and play and play until you can beat that last level, finally beat that last level and can advance to the boss level. So I think the name is clever. It co-stars Naomi Watts, 
Mel Gibson, you just heard his voice in that clip. He's the bad guy. And Will Sasso is Mel Gibson's crony in this. 73% on Rotten Tomatoes. It debuted on Hulu in the U.S. back in March. Not sure when it debuted on Prime. I think it was just last month. I thought this was fun. Tremendous action uh, and action choreography. It was very creatively violent. And it had a, a surprisingly touching family component. It drags a little in the second act with some pretty predictable story elements. Inevitably, in these kinds of time loop movies, we often see the protagonist sort of give up on everything and just keeps, you know, because they keep reliving the same day and can't get out. And this one is no exception, but ultimately he has to figure out a way to get to the boss level. I will say the ending is frustrating. Also frustrating, it seems, because I did some reading on it, it seems the Hulu version has an extra scene in the credits, but it's not there on Prime. So that also made me even more angry, but uh, whatever. It was a fun ride. Overall, a lot of fun. Three and a half couch cushions out of five for Boss Level. So that's two time loop movies in one weekend. That's pretty. You must you must not know whether you're coming or going at this point, Brett. <laughs> you know what? It, may, it may, reminded me. Isn't that Palm Springs movie with uh, yep. Andy Samberg? Uh, a time that's loop, right? And yeah, it is. Apparently, I, I've not still not watched it, but uh, apparently it is. Apparently, it's really good as well. So you got those Looper, uh, the Back to the Future movies, never ends. Bill and Ted. <laughs> that's right. And, and uh, now having having watched. These time loop movies and that tomorrow or the tomorrow war because the aliens were actually remarkably similar to the ones in Edge of Tomorrow. So uh, nope. they all it all sort of ties together. I just I feel like I myself am in a, an endless loop. So I might have to watch <laughs> the uh, Edge of Tomorrow this weekend. Uh, that's awesome. I rewatched an old favorite this week: the 2001 HBO miniseries Band of Brothers. It's been two years since I've seen home. Two years. At zero six hundred hours, we will begin training to go to war. We are on the eve of the largest action in history of warfare. It's Normandy. We all do our jobs. Everything will be fine. We're all scared. What made you decide to join the paratroopers? Fire! And I wanted to fight with the best, sir. Banner Brothers came to us back in 2001 from producers Steven Spielberg and Tom Hanks three years after they teamed up together on Saving Private Ryan, which relaunched and reinvented the war movie as a genre. Up until then, war movies didn't really depict how brutal war really was, at least not World War II movies. A lot of Vietnam movies were graphic. But of course, the D-Day section of uh, Saving Private Ryan was this jaw-dropping sequence of pure horror, and the whole movie embodied the war-as-hell side of things. And Banner brothers continued and expanded on what Saving Private Ryan was doing, and frankly, did it a lot better, I thought. The scope of Bandon Brothers is much bigger. It follows a coal company, Easy Company, of the 506 PIR 101st Airborne from when the company was formed at a base in Georgia through D-Day, the Holland Campaign, the Battle of the Bulge, and into Germany and the war's end. It's 10 episodes, each about an hour or so in length, and many of them sort of focus on one specific soldier, but of course they all feature most of the main guys. Guys, and there are a couple of dozen main guys. Obviously, they don't all make it to the end. 
weekend. When it first aired, I recognized three people in this whole series. Ron Livingston, who was in Swingers and Office Space. Donnie Wahlberg, we knew from uh, New Kids on the Block and The Sixth Sense. And David Schwimmer, Ross from Friends, is in it. Now we know Damian Lewis, who plays the lead character. We know Michael Cudlitz from Southland and The Walking Dead. Dexter Fletcher's the director who made Rocket Man and stepped in to finish Bohemian Rhapsody. Scott Grimes has been in many things like ER, as has Neil McDonough. Michael Fassbender and Tom Hardy are also both in it in smaller roles, but there are multiple episodes. And there are a ton of other recognizable faces. And it'll take a couple of watches to pin down all the names and faces. The first time you see it, it's almost impossible, if I recall, because you don't know which ones you're supposed to be remembering and which ones are very minor characters and only, you know, in one episode. And it doesn't help, of course, that they're all wearing the same clothes and they're often, you know, caked in muck and dirt and that sort of thing. But don't let that discourage you if you've never seen it. You'll pick up enough to get the basics down. You'll certainly learn more than a few of the names along the way. They also don't do a ton of hand-holding when it comes to the jargon or what's going on in the heat of battle. You just pick it up from context, the same as you would with something like ER. I mean, none of us knew what they were talking about when they were rattling off the medical jargon on that show, but we could still follow the story. Same goes here, and it adds to the authenticity. They also assume that you'll know at least a little bit about the history of World War II. You you don't sit there thinking that these guys are going to confront Hitler face-to-face in the final episode or something like that. Um, Maybe the best thing about the series, though, are the interviews with the real-life soldiers in modern day. It's these old men reliving the war. Many of them have never spoke publicly about it before. A lot of them tear up when they remember losing their friends. We don't see their names until the end of the very last episode of the series, I guess for spoiler reasons, because if we saw, you know, John Smith as an 80-year-old man that will know the character John Smith will make it through the war. Now, a couple of them are actually pretty easy to figure out who they are, either by their personalities or appearance or how they talk about, you know, the role they played in the company. And Spielberg has to get a ton of credit for getting the people that suffered through the war to open up and document the experience before it was too late. He started with Holocaust Holocaust survivors after making Schindler's List, and he carried it on with the soldiers of World War II with Saving Private Ryan and Band of Brothers. And indeed, in the 20 years since the series aired, a lot of the men who we see interviewed on the series uh, have since passed away. Now, you can watch it on Crave. It's all sitting right there. But honestly, this one's worth getting a hard copy for just because there's a terrific documentary on it that runs about uh, an hour 15. It's just the interviews with the old old soldiers, and it's cut together with newsreel footage from the war. I'm also a sucker for good promos, and the DVD set has promos for each episode that are really good. Along those lines... Um, and I always forget about it when we talk about opening credits, but it's got one of the best theme songs ever. It's it's over two minutes long, I think, and the credits have you know shots from the show in it out of context. And as you go through the series, you're constantly matching them up like, oh, there's the shot of the piano from the opening credits, that sort of thing. Uh, it's a very beautiful but kind of sad, epic orchestral piece with the choir. It's just perfect. The whole series, I thought, is just perfect, except for the weird Jimmy Fallon cameo in uh, episode six, I want to say. It's always a little jarring, and I'm um, not making that up. He shows up for one scene and this was made while he was on Saturday Night Live, so it's always kind of a little bizarre to see because you just know him as a comedian and there he is all of a sudden in World War II. Uh, It it is for mine and money still 
the greatest show to ever be on TV, Brett. It's on Crave now, but just buy the Blu-ray, like I said. Band of Brothers, if you've never seen it before, you gotta see it. There was also a follow-up miniseries a couple years later called The Pacific. That's also very good, but I own that as well, and I've only watched it once, so it clearly didn't resonate as much as Band of Brothers. Rami Malek's in it, though. He plays a really creepy dude, and the kid from Jurassic Park is in it, too. I should revisit it at some time. There was talk of making a third miniseries about the Air Force during World War II, but that never came to pass. But We'll always have Band of Brothers, and uh, frankly, you don't need much more than that. Like I said, it's the best thing that's ever been on TV. I have yet to watch that. You make a compelling argument. Yep. Watch the first, if you're going to watch it, watch episodes one and two all uh, back-to-back. That's what I would recommend. Okay. Band of Brothers on Crave. I will put that on the list, my ever-growing list of shows that I know that I need to watch, but probably will never get to because I <laughs> I usually end up just re-watching old movies like Avengers Infinity War or Twister or the one that we're going to tell you about in a moment that's, that celebrated a big anniversary this week. You're listening to The Couch Potatoes. Welcome back to The Couch Potatoes. I'm Jeff, he's Brett, and we're going to take a look at a movie that celebrated its 25th anniversary this past week. It came out on July 4th, 1996, and it's no surprise it came out that day because the movie is Independence Day. We're fighting for our right to live, to exist. And should we win the day... The 4th of July will no longer be known as an American holiday, but as the day when the world declared in one voice, we will not go quietly into the night. We will not vanish without a fight. We're going to live on. We're going to survive. Today, we celebrate our Independence Day. That, of course, is the most famous part of the movie. Bill Pullman as the president making the big speech right before they all get up in their planes and uh, go to fight the big alien horde that has been destroying the planet. Uh, It's a terrifically fun movie, of course, Brett. We've loved this movie for 25 years now. It really, you mentioned Twister right before the break, and Twister and this movie coming out just months apart really kickstarted a whole decades worth, I would say, of, you know, disaster movies and uh, these kind of big, huge spectacle movies. It started, you know, Jurassic Park started with the CGI in 1993. And here by 1996, everyone, you know, had some control over it and ideas on how to use it. We just got started getting these insane blockbuster movies, uh, just one after another. And it really hasn't stopped. I mean, now it's mostly superhero movies, but it really started with Twister and Independence Day. And I know this is one of your very favorite movies of all time. Yeah, I love Independence Day. It is, it's not a good movie. Like when I watch it, I acknowledge it every single time. Like, man, this is dumb uh, because but it's just so you don't cheesy. turn it off. No, because I love it. Nope. I, I love it. It's, 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 a, it's, it's a fun movie that recognizes what it is. And uh, I think it was almost pitch perfect sort of blockbuster filmmaking. Uh, it was uh, from director Roland Emmerich, who. I think I also probably, I should also acknowledge this, I probably like it because I was a younger guy when I watched it. I was 20 years old, and uh, I was still young and dumb back then. But because I watched it then, I still love it. But uh, yeah, Roland Emmerich, he's not the best filmmaker. Like He makes big, explodey movies that are often really dumb. This one just, I think, happened to work in the uh, Will Smith 
it had such a star turn in that, and it had, you know he had a a good uh, uh, on screen partnership with Harry Connick Jr. and Randy Quaid played this crazy character, and uh, Bill uh, Pullman is that his name yep. as the president? Yeah, yeah, he was great as the president, and Jeff Goldblum, the Goldblum. <laughs> well, yeah, you can't go wrong with Goldblum and him teaming up with Will Smith. That was like I would watch a whole movie of just those two guys. Uh, they only got like sort of the last half hour together kind of thing, but that was, they had terrific chemistry there as well. And the notion that he could use a, a laptop Apple computer in 1996 to somehow upload a virus that would bring down the entire oh alien horde that uh, I wonder what Apple paid for that. Every movie in the nineties that has computer stuff in it. You, j- if you watch that now, and you and I are not computer geniuses by any stretch, but even we know, that, you know like how laughably stupid all that stuff was. And that, that was just, and the producers and directors and movie writers, they didn't know how computers worked either, but they just figured, well, everything's going the way of computers. So we're jamming it in our movie and we're just going to say it can do whatever we want it to do. And that's all there is to it. Yeah. Now the sequel, when that came out back in 2016, I guess so it was 20 years later, that was, I was super, super pumped for that, especially watching the trailers because it was clear that the aliens came back with a vengeance. Their their massive spaceships were like 10 times as big. They meant business. Terrible. One of the worst movies I've ever seen. 30% on Rotten Tomatoes. It was a massive flop at the box office. If you've never seen the sequel, don't bother. It's awful. There's actually part I of won't. me that wants to go back and watch it again. Just to, I don't know, I guess I'm a, a masochist. I, I <laughs> we'll have to do an episode one of these weeks just about hate-watching stuff. <laughs> that would be fun because there is a yeah. part of me that's curious. That makes, that I, I, there, I, I, maybe I can't be convinced that I was right when I watched Like I, How I liked the first movie so much. How can the second movie be so bad? The, the special effects are better. Jeff Goldblum is back in his front and center as the primary character. What's going on? Or actually, was he the main character? I can't even remember now. Anyway. But yeah, no, there's trying to recapture the magic is it's almost impossible for any movie. Like it's, it's such a cliche, but it's, you know, it's so true. The sequels just so rarely ever live up to anything. And when these movies that try it like 20 years after the fact, it's like, who are they kidding? It's, it's just a money grab. They're never going to almost never going to have anything even worth watching. I'm going to have to pick up a copy of Independence Day on 4K, though, if, if such a thing exists, because that is indeed one of my, that's a go-to comfort movie, right? It's one of those comfort movies that if you don't know what to watch or you happen to be flipping through the channels and there it is, that's where you know, where yep. that's where you're staying. So thanks for pointing that out. I forgot about that because I know we already focused on the uh, anniversary for Twister uh, yeah. a few weeks back. So we got to look at the what was the biggest movie of that year. Twister was number two. That year in 1996, Independence Day was number one. Good summer. Mission Impossible, The Rock. Uh, yeah. Great summer. Yeah, no kidding. The Nutty Professor. Yeah, that's a good one. Oh, <laughs> that's all the time we've got. I'm Brett. He's Jeff. We are the Couch Potatoes. Remember, if it requires getting up off the couch, don't bother. Don't bother.